Hi there, welcome back to Sky High Musings. I'm Monica. With me today is my friend Christina. Hi, Christina. Hi, Monica. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. Just a little background on Christina. She is a friend of mine for almost 40 years and um, also a commercial pilot for a competing airline, but I will not hold that against you. And um, Christina is here to talk with me today, not about flying, uh, although we could easily do an I'm starting a new ep um, thing that hasn't started yet. It's called Ask a Pilot. So oh, I might fine. I might have you on that for that, too, if you don't mind. Of course. Yeah. But um, Christina has some, um, some expertise, uh, hard-earned expertise in an area that's very interesting to me. And um, I've asked her to join in and talk with us today about mental health. So... Um, I know that, I don't know how much you want to tell of your story, Christina, but uh, I think it's a pretty useful and helpful one if uh, we could get the word out to other moms. I know I have a lot of moms that listen to this podcast and um, just kind of like some experiences you've had in your own life, if you wouldn't mind talking about that. Of course. Um, so I have two children and I've been married over 25 years. And um, my son was diagnosed with a serious mental illness at age eight and then 12 and then 15. And I'll go into the details if you like. Um, my son um, is still living with a mental illness. And I, s I have since learned that my daughter has uh, PTSD, lives with PTSD. And, um, and there's actually quite a bit of mental illness in my whole family. It does run in families. So because of my family situation, I've been a NAMI volunteer, which is the National Alliance of Mental Illness, um, since about 2010. Right. And um, I've also uh, written a blog about raising a child with mental illness. I've worked as a crisis text line specialist, helping people in crises. And what, so can we just expand a little bit on the organization and then also on the crisis? Because these are the kind of things I would love people to know that are available to them. Yeah. Yeah. So NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness, is, a, a, I think it's the largest grassroots organization in the country. Um, it provides free classes and support groups. If you go on the web, www.naminami.org, you can find out more about them and the, some of the programs they offer. Um, I learned about NAMI when my son was sick in middle school. I saw a little advertisement for a free class called Family to Family. And so I attended that class for 12 weeks and I learned a lot about mental illness and how to support my family member with mental illness. Right. Um, the crisis text line is kind of like a suicide hotline. We have a national um, suicide prevention hotline. We call it the suicide hotline. It's a 1-800-555-TALK, and um, you'd have to look on your phone to know those numbers, but it's a 24-7 telephone line where trained professionals pick up the phone and help people in crises. The crisis text line is similar in that model. It's a 24-7 hotline with trained volunteers, but it's a text line instead of a phone line. And it started in 2014 for youth, ages 13 to 23, but because of its success, it's, it's 
open to all people now. Okay, because it feels like that's how people would communicate. Right, because especially our kids' generation, right? Yeah. And so, like, my son, who um, was often in crises, um, he was not the type of person to pick up a phone. He's not going to pick up the phone and call a suicide hotline. But he would pick up his phone and text someone. And so the suicide, I'm sorry, the crisis text line number is 741741, which is on the left side of your phone. Nice. You can also Google them and find out more about them. Okay, yeah. And basically my job on that um, hotline was, um, our, our goal was to bring someone from hot to cold. So we'd have a conversation with them. We'd find out what's going on. And this is all via text? Via text, correct. Wow. Yeah. So when you, it feels to me like it would be harder to know. Well, this is so interesting to me that, because um, I knew you did this, but I didn't realize it was all via text. And mm-hmm. it seems like there's some nuances that would be, like you could not miss, but like are there things... Well, what's really interesting about the crisis text line is the technology that's available on the phone. So it's very data-driven. And so they can go in and mine all the data that's coming in, and there's certain words that will flag. Oh. So if, you, if, a, if someone texts in help, you'll be in the queue. And then we're monitoring the queue, and there's a bunch of people on call that are taking the next texture but if you use words like i want to kill myself um it jumps you to the top of the queue i see and so while i was trained as a as a specialist and i would be monitored initially when i started until i was kind of let go to be on my own but even when i was having a conversation with the texture i always had supervisors that i could flag via text on my computer um, kind of like a Zoom meeting, you know how right. you can have a sidebar chat with yep. your supervisor that if we needed to intervene, we could, or if I need a supervisor's help with the situation, they could help us. So I don't want to ask you anything that, I mean, because I, I, you and I haven't like pre-discussed this, but if someone is on there and they are really in a bad state, besides texting them, like is there some type of like, flag where they can actually go to someone's home or is that only if they ask for that? Well, one of the things that we had to do as a specialist was do a suicide assessment within the first 15 minutes. And the way we were trained to do that was you would find out and just flat out ask them, are you having suicidal thoughts? Are you thinking of killing yourself? You know, we try to find out if they're having suicidal ideation is what we're, we call it. And then the, the second uh, question was, um, do you have a plan? And number three was, do you have a means to the plan? Carry out. Access to the weapon or, or right. the plan. And number four was, is it imminent? Meaning, is it within the next 24 hours or when are you going to do this? And if we got all four of those were, you know, red, red flags, right. then that's when you call the supervisor and that's when we could intervene and possibly locate them and or possibly help um, get someone to go to the house. But usually what our goal was, was to bring them from hot to cold so that, you know, could you please put down the knife or the gun while we talk? Right. You know, if they did have the pills, could you put them in the other room or give them to somebody while we talk? Right. And, um, and we just try to get them through the night safely. And then if we, we'd ask, we'd help them 
help themselves, try to come up with a safety plan for themselves, find out if they had a therapist they were going to meet or if they had someone that could keep them safe. And then if we felt confident and they felt confident because we wanted to empower them, mm -hmm. then if they felt confident they could be safe, we would eventually end the call. But if we couldn't keep them safe, if they couldn't keep themselves safe, we would stay, keep working with them until we felt that they could be safe or that they needed more help. So the call itself then, it sounds to me like it could go, you know, however long it took to get them to the cold part. Correct. Yeah. And, and somewhere in between, you know, them having a safe night and sending someone to their home, sometimes we'd say, you know, do you want to go to the hospital? Is right. there someone who get you to the hospital? Can you get to the hospital? So there were a lot of areas in there that you know we we get them where they needed to be is is the point. Yeah, and then so now I'm I I have a young man in my life that um, is not a family member, but he is somebody who who did try to well he certainly got into a situation um, where he was going down a path you know towards suicide, but it didn't happen, um, and we're really grateful for that. But I think the hospital is what saved him. So can we talk about that for a minute too? Because what I'm really trying to do is just give people options and let them know um, either if they know somebody who has suicidal thoughts or if they themselves have them. Because, you know, in this time of COVID, we, we aren't checking in with each other, you know, physically as much as we do. So I do wonder if there are people who um, normally have more much more of a support network that aren't getting reached right now so that's kind of another reason why I thought it would be really nice to do this this podcast right now um, yeah. so the hospital so what what would they do is it a 911 thing where you just call and say I'm having eyes ideas of suicide or what what would that look like well that's a really good question and um when my son was very sick, um, it was brought to my attention that one of the things that you should do for anyone who's sick is sometimes they need to be hospitalized. Right. For example, you break your leg and you need surgery, you need to go to the hospital. Right. right? Um, and so the first time my son was hospitalized, it was a very scary thing for me because um, it meant that he was really, really sick and that he needed serious medical attention. Um, the first time I took him to the hospital, we had had an accident at home um, that became violent. And so um, I took him to the hospital and um, he went through the intake which was very lengthy and he was released uh, because at that time it was decided that he didn't need to stay. Okay. Um, he could be safe at home. Um, but later, um, I think he was about 15 years old was the first time he was um, hospitalized and it was kind of after the fact. Um, I had been on a trip Remember Sandy? It was a hurricane on yep. the East Coast? Yeah. Hurricane Sandy. 
That was uh, where it hit New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, New York. I mean, like, really hard. Yeah, it was a big, big storm. Yeah. And I was coming home from work, and I couldn't get home because my flight was canceled because of the weather. So I had to come into Cleveland, which is a two-hour drive. My husband was going to come pick me up, bring me home. So that was four hours away from the home. I think he brought my daughter with him when they picked me up. And they left my son at home because I think there was a football game on that my right. son wanted to watch. So um, the next day, I happened to go to my son's therapist appointment with him. And the therapist asked him, how are you feeling? He said, fine. What's going on? Nothing. What do you want to talk about? Nothing. And so then she looks at me and she says, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, you know, he's... Um, you know, he doesn't want to go to basketball, he doesn't want to go to school, and he doesn't want to, you know, hang out with friends anymore. So they talked about each of those things, and they talked about whether it was anxiety or depression, and at one point she said, are you feeling suicidal? And he said, yeah, I tried to kill myself last night. And I didn't breathe for the next 15 minutes as she continued to ask him more and more questions about that comment. So that was the first you'd heard about it. I had no idea. Wow. I thought he was home watching the football game. Right. And um, so at the end of that therapy session, she said, well, I can let you go home with your mom if we make a safety plan. So they proceeded to make a safety plan about we would go buy some new videos and he would meet the girlfriend later in the day and blah, blah, blah. So we did all that and we went home and then at one point he came on to the kitchen and he said to me, Mom, I need to go to the hospital. And my heart dropped because I thought, "Uh uh-oh. Right. And I said, okay, well, um, let me uh, check a few things. You know if you go to the hospital that you're going to have to stay there because it's a 72-hour minimum. And he said, oh, okay. And so he ran upstairs and he came back don't know what he did <laughs> and I'm making calls to the psychiatrist and the therapist and my and husband. And did you already have a relationship with all these players? Not really. Okay. I had we had a doctor we had a therapist um we knew which hospital we should take him to if he needed to be hospitalized but this was my first trip. Well and that's why I'm asking because I mean it sounds like you really had your stuff together and I just for our listeners I just want to be clear that you know you only had you had some steps in place but you didn't have everything figured out right yeah and um so we got in the car and we drove to the hospital in pouring rain hurricane weather oh my gosh (laughs) and my son was I was so afraid that he was just going to jump out of the car and run in the traffic and end it all and at one point he threw his phone over his shoulder and um which was unusual for a teenager and we finally got to the hospital we spent the several hours doing the intake again and they tend to ask the same questions over and over you know and he kept repeating the same thing that i don't want to hear over and over and um and then they finally admitted him they put him in a gown and they took him away and um and i remember my husband showing up and we were sitting in the car. We had to go back to the house to pick up some things and bring them back. And um, my husband was crying, and he's one of those guys who's, you know... Stoic. Yeah, very yes. stoic. 
rarely shows emotions right. of any kind, our generation, right? And um, and he was really, really sad. And, and I wasn't sad. I, I was, at this point, relieved. Mm-hmm. I was terrified earlier right well now you're thinking i'm guessing as a mom he's He's safe safe. yeah exactly yeah that's what i always thought of the hospital is a safe place that can keep him safe if you can't keep him safe if he can't keep himself safe so finally i have this relief right he's in the hospital he's alive he's safe he's okay and then um my husband's crying and i look over at him i'm like why are you sad (laughs) and he says our son is very sick and i'm thinking you know, we've been dealing with this for years. Right. And we'd had a couple scares up to this before. And I'm like, is this what it took for you to realize how sick he's been all right. these years? Right. Um, but yeah, he he was admitted to the hospital and he stayed there um I wanna say I can't even remember anymore. It was five or ten days. It was, wow. it was at least a week. Wow. Um, and the, the nice thing about the hospital is it keeps them safe. Mm-hmm. You get a second opinion. Yep. If you don't have treatment, they can give you some referrals mm-hmm. on treatment. Um, and then when he came out of treatment, you know, we really, I think there was a new, he was forced to commit to his treatment at a, at a different level. Yeah. And then after that um, scare, were you were you able to relax around this or was it were you just hyper vigilant cuz i can imagine i know you and i'm imagining that you were pretty hyper vigilant the rest of the time yeah we met with the doc midweek and um she spent some time with us and really opened our eyes to some statistics for example that um after a child dies by suicide something like 85% of couples end in divorce and and on and on. And she, the when they did release him, because he had a doc, because there was going to be a med change, because he had therapy lined up, um, she released him to us and she said for the first 30 days, 24-7 eyes on supervision, get rid of any dangers in your home. Wow. Um, and um, no talking to the girlfriend, no use of electronics or phone. And Which she, sounds like a, I mean, for a 15-year-old kid, that sounds like a punishment. Yeah, and so, um, you know, doctor's orders, I went back home like a, you know, just just out of my mind trying, everything looked dangerous to me. So I was very, very scared for those first 30 days because, as you may know, um, one of the problems with psychiatric medication um, is that it doesn't there's no silver bullet there's right, no right. it doesn't work quickly right and so and you have to find the right med right right and so um so you know it was going to take at least 30 days to get him to a better place and so those first 30 days were very very difficult and then for the next i used to say that um the goal was stability you know we don't want him perfect we want him somewhere that sure. is stable in the, in the bell safe. curve right, and, right. and just able to maintain a safe living. Correct. But the problem is stability for a teenager is a moving target. <laughs> it is. So I, I would say... I mean, it's like an oxymoron, so yeah. ta- a stable teenager. Right. So, so he became pretty sick in 2010. He was about 12 years old. He was first diagnosed with 
um, I think social phobia and um, maybe anxiety and OCD um, tendencies, some, some other alphabet soup. When he was eight, he started working with a therapist at age eight. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at age 12 and he had that first hospitalization at age 15. But for the rest of high school, um, it was a constant, very vigilant, you know, always um, crisis after crisis after right. crisis. And, um, and there were a few more attempts and, um, and it wasn't until in his early 20s that I feel like I really breathe a lot more um, regularly. Right, right. But the good news is, I mean, because I try really hard to focus on not the positive, but just maybe the, the once again, the message for the um, listeners is, you know, if you are careful and take things seriously, you can really help your child you know, or adult child, you know, or your offspring, if you will, you really can help them get to a better place. Absolutely. I mean, that's really the main goal here of like what I'm trying to help people with. And that's why I'm really grateful that you came on to tell your story because it's, it's not easy to talk about, you know, having a, a son who's got some issues and, you know, you're surrounded by people who love to put all the pretty pictures on Facebook and um, I personally have always been very appreciative of your openness for this Mm -hmm. because you're you really help other people a lot by being honest and open about it well I think we have to be I think um, you know one of some statistics I happen to know because of my volunteering um, 90% of people who die by suicide have a diagnosable mental illness but only 50% of people with mental illness seek treatment. And most of the people who don't seek treatment, it's because of the stigma. It's because of this perception that there's something wrong with them or you're weak right. or, or, or that sort of stuff. And, and some of it is ignorance and silence. If we don't talk about right. it, then you don't know what to do. Right. And that was, well, and that's like, it's amazing to me. I mean, I, I it's I feel like you're such a resource because there are mothers out there who really struggle with their kids, and then they they think they're the only ones. So right. there's a stigma with the patient, but there's also a stigma in within the families, right? Where they don't want to, or or you've got your daughter who doesn't really want to talk about her brother who's, you know, having these these issues and you know, or maybe feeling shame about it, not that she should, I'm not saying she did, but you know, it's just the idea that there's fallout in other family members. And then it, and I think my guess is the more you keep a lid on it, the worse everything is. Well, I think, you know, it depends. One of the things I ran into, and I remember uh, being at a parent-teacher conference when my son was sick and his grades were dropping and the teacher assured us that it was just a phase and that most kids that age go through this phase and that he would grow out of it. Well, he didn't grow out of it. Right. Um, and so, you know, no, what I like to tell moms is that, or parents in general, is that nobody knows your kid better than you do. That's right. And so you need to recognize what's going on with your kid. And then when they tell you something, believe them. Right, um, right. 
I've had kids come up to me after some of the talks that I've done um, or classes I've given, and and even the kid will say, you know, they'll spell out. They're very self-aware. They know their own symptoms. They know they're struggling. They know they're depressed or they know they're anxious. And I say, have you told anybody that? Yeah, I told my mom or my dad or my uncle or my teacher. And, and they get dismissed. Right. Because some people don't take them seriously or they don't know the warning signs. They don't know what to look for. And so they don't take or them seriously. Or they chalk it up. I mean, this is kind of a thing that women put up with too um, in their in midlife. You know, I had I had my own issues with my colon and I kept, saying that I was having these problems and I think the doctor might have thought I was just oh midlife you know like oh she's just a middle-aged woman or and then I ended up having this emergency situation that is all fine and and done but it's the same idea with with the kids yeah you just think they're being a drama queen and you know you're just making a big deal out of nothing and you're being too emotional right and it's really easy I think to minimalize or maybe not easy to, maybe people don't do it purposely. You just can't identify what it is that's drama and what it is that's real. Right. So I think the idea, correct me if I'm wrong, is we treat everything like it's real until we can figure out that it's not. Right. Right? Isn't that the safest way to go? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, there's there's certain... Well, one of the things I learned was... Um, you know, what I tell people about the difference between a mood disorder and a moody teenager is three things, the um, trigger, the intensity, and the longevity. So, for example, you know, your boyfriend breaks up with you, you don't get the part, you fail the test, you lose the big game, of course you're gonna be upset, right? So that's the trigger. Right. Um, but my son would be depressed for no reason. <laughs> In fact, the time he was hospitalized, I remember I called his buddy and let him know. Two, he had two BFFs at the time, and I told this one friend that Jack was in the hospital. And um, the friend said, but I said, he's in the hospital because he has depression and he had some suicidal behavior. And the friend said, why is he depressed? All his teams won this weekend. <laughs> True story. Um, that is so classic, isn't it? Right. How can you be depressed? Right. You got everything going for right. you. She was so happy. Right. 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 She was yeah. pretty. Yeah. <laughs> why, can, why would she be depressed? And then the other thing is the intensity of the mood swing. So, for example, your boyfriend breaks up with you. You should be upset for a week or two, two or three months. Might be excessive. And then the, the I'm sorry, that's the longevity. The intensity would be... You know, you should be upset, but you shouldn't want to kill yourself. Right. So, right. Um, so those three things you got to, as a parent, you can kind of look at: was there a trigger? How long should it last? How intense should it be? Does does the response really, um, yeah, justify? Does the trigger or the situation justify the response I'm getting? Yeah. And and I say in general, anything that lasts more than two weeks. Go see someone. Oh, that's great yeah. advice. Yeah, if your kid's depressed for two weeks, and you know, because it doesn't matter what the trigger right. was, right? Even if it's a justified thing, like they lost their grandmother or they lost a dog, something that's really, really tough, um, and they're grieving. But two weeks, go have talk to someone. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great resource, and it's you know, hopefully people have it where they can, you know, have access to that. You know, that's always an issue whether. 
there's access for someone to, to talk to them, hopefully even at school, like their guidance counselor, or, you know, whatever the lowest hanging fruit is, you know. That's the other thing I tell the kids that come to me with um, saying, you know, that they need help and they want help is if the first person you go to says no, keep trying. Yes. Because there's always someone, you know, if your mom and dad won't help you, go to an aunt or uncle or a sibling or a teacher or a coach or a drum. There's always somebody. Yeah. Just keep reaching out until someone helps you. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Well, um, Christina, I don't want to take up. We're on. Christina's on a layover. I love these <laughs> meetups. I feel like I'm I'm stealing time. It's wonderful. Um, but I would. Um, can you please, before we we sign off, can you say those the suicide hotline yes. again, and then also the text number. Yes. I also want to give you my three tips because you oh. asked me. Oh my gosh! See, that's the problem. I make. <laughs> So you guys, she I gave make, me homework. <laughs> I make people prepare all the time. This is true, and then I don't ask them the things. So what were your? I'm so sorry. Monica asked me for three tips on mental health, and it it really didn't take me long to think of this at all. But I I thought we might cover it while we were yes, talking. Yes, please. Didn't. So number one is that what I want to share with everybody is that mental health, because that's the term you used. Um, mental illness is mental health is. Your, your overall health. Right. You know, it's the same thing. And that mental illness is no different than any other illness or injury. And so, of course, you have to go see a doctor. Of course, you need to get medical care. Of course, you got to go to the hospital. Um, that's just so important for under people to understand that mental illness is real and that people are in pain and suffering and that we need to help them with a medical professional who specializes in mental health. So that's number one. Number two is... Um, that treatment works. Um, I'm happy to say my son's doing really well yeah, right now. It's great. It's been a long journey. Um, there is no sil silver bullet. His particular treatment that's not you know the same for everybody, but it, it involves five things. Number one is his doctor who prescribes medication that he takes every day. Number two is therapy. He works with the mental health therapist regularly. And number three is his self-care, you know, sleep and diet and exercise, all those sort of things. Number four is, I, w I used to say substance avoidance. He's 23, he drinks, he vapes, he smokes. Right. Um, but, you know, it's important to monitor that because sure. um, it can kind of negate all that other work he's doing. Right. And, and make him unstable again. And number five is support. And um, that means family, friends, uh, faith, hobbies, interests, coaches, whatever you need to, you know, that social aspect you were talking about right. with the COVID. Um, all that stuff, and I can't even say which is most important because, you know, if, if one falls, the whole yeah. house of cards falls. Yeah. So they're all so important that it's kind of a combination of all of them to keep him in balance. Mm -hmm. So treatment works is number two. Number three is my I have a dream speech, which is that. Um, <laughs> wait, I didn't know we were. Wait, should I be marking the date no. in history? <laughs> no, it's just that um, I believe strongly in emotional first aid. I think that we ought to be teaching emotional first aid to young children from an early age, just like we teach first aid to five year olds when yes. they fall and get a boo boo, they got a cut knee. And they come in and you clean it up and you sterilize it and you put a band aid and you give them a hug and kiss and boo boo better. Right? Yeah. And by the time they're 10, they know how to do that themselves. And when they're adults, they know how to do it. Right. 
And yet we don't teach kids oh how to deal gosh, with... Oh my gosh, Christina, you are so right. Emotional wounds. Right. Failure, rejection, loneliness. Kids start learning those or receiving those wounds from an early age. You know, my friend was mean to me. I didn't get picked for the team. You know, um, I was bored all day. And we don't teach them as parents how to... Um, first of all, we ought to be, you know, acknowledging the pain that they experience as young children, emotional pain. And then we ought to be administering some sort of care and treatment for them and then show them how to have build coping skills so that then they become adults and they're lonely, rejected, or failures. They don't, they have the tools that they can get through that and they don't have to, you know, struggle the way that so many people that we both that we all do well all of us really i mean because just the idea the notion i i just for some reason i'm not normally like this but that was very visual to me Mm -hmm. when you said you know the when the boo-boo and you repair the boo-boo it's the idea that you could repair an emotional hurt absolutely a little kid a little triage right instead of saying suck it up buttercup big boys don't cry yeah we ought to say sweetheart that must have hurt your feelings not to get picked on the to play with your friend exactly, or and then we can say, you know, oh, I'm sad for you, and tell them what sad looks like and feels like, and it's okay to be sad, right? Um, and then you know they, and then what are we gonna do? How about we do this instead? And then you build those coping skills so they can, you know, right? To I feel like for our generation that would have been oh, very helpful. Yeah, we did, <laughs> we did not have emotional first aid. The emotions we were not in our vocabulary. They would be like first aid. Any first aid is for sissies. No. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What was it? No. No bones. No blood. No. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I remember that. But that saying? sounds about yeah, right. Get back yeah. In there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was telling. I don't know. I asked somebody else in a different podcast, but my mom used to say, "Don't come to me unless you're bleeding." Yeah. Yeah. And they. I was talking to. It may have been Kelly, our young friend, <laughs> where it was like. She was like, really? And I was like, yeah, you know, this yeah. is, people were harsh back then. Yeah, and we we weren't allowed to have emotions. No, no, no. and it's yeah. not healthy. No, and, and it was almost like, you know, if you didn't show emotions, you were tough. Yeah. That was value. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And what I, I like about this new generation, or at least the way I'm trying to teach, raise my kids, is that it's okay to not be okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And that it, it takes courage to reach out for help. Yep. And um, and a lot of times the help's there. It's just it's just being yeah. so brave enough I'll to ask for. So I'll answer your question. It. Yeah. So the um, National Suicide Prevention Hotline is. Oh, I put her on the spot, you guys. She's got to look it up. Yeah, I'll look that one up. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you the crisis text line which is 741741. If you're staring at your phone like I am, um, it's the left bottom number up to the top left number, 741741. And when you type that in, you then just type in anything like hello or help okay. or I'm, I need to talk to someone. And um, you'll get an automated message right away. And then you're in the queue, as I said. And then some a trained counselor, a crisis counselor, will respond. That's incredible. And to answer your question about how long those um, conversations took, I worked four-hour shifts, and I maybe had two or three textures because it was easily 90 minutes per individual wow. because these kids are in crises. Of course. And so it took a long time. Um, 
So I am going to look up this number one off. I'm Googling it. She's in all that technology. <laughs> um, and you know what? The veterans have one, too. The VA oh, has one, nice. a different one. Okay, the um, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 24-7, is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. Um, and then I forget what the VA one is. Oh, that's okay. I mean, but, we'll, I'm going to try and... Um, I have a Facebook page... And I'm going to put this stuff up for okay. when when we have this episode um, when it airs. Okay. So yeah, so what a great talk! I mean, seriously, Christina, you're such a champion for this, and I I really think that the the example that you've set for people in my my generation, people who know you, it's super um, motivating for me to know that there are people that are brave enough to get out there with their own stories. I know your son talks about, he, you know, he will actually go out and talk about his own story. And it just really, I think it just helps everyone because what it does is it allows us to see that if we know someone or we're hurting, we're not alone and, um, and that there are resources out there. Absolutely. So thank you so much for coming. You're welcome. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Next time you can be on Ask a Pilot. Okay. All right. See you, Christina. See you, Monica. As always, I'd like to thank you for joining today. And if you like what you heard, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to the channel.